If you hang around on this earth long enough, sooner or later, what happened to me in the last three weeks will happen to you. You'll have an illness, or you'll be forced to undergo a surgery that will keep you out of commission for an extended period of time. And if you're an active person like me who finds fulfillment and meaning in the things you do every day, who finds fulfillment and meaning in your work, then doing nothing will drive you crazy. Or if you're like me, it'll drive you a little more crazy than you normally are. One of the reasons for this phenomenon is that most of us tend to measure our self-worth by the number of activities we engage in. If we do a lot, then we think our life is worth something. If we do little or nothing that the world considers quote-unquote productive, then we consider ourselves, our life, to be worth little or nothing. This, of course, is not the Catholic and Christian way of looking at things. It's not the right way of looking at things, but it is the contemporary cultural way of looking at things. And we are all affected by it to some extent. Our value is based on what we do. And I admit it, I was affected by this mentality a few weeks ago in the aftermath of my surgery. It was very frustrating. It was very upsetting. I literally could not do much of anything in terms of my normal daily activities. In fact, I spent an entire week, the first week at my sister's house, without ever going out the front door even once. I've never been inside a building continuously for that length of time in my entire life, at least that I can remember. I probably was for the first week of my life when my mom brought me home from the hospital, but since then I don't think I ever have. Have I made myself clear I didn't like it? But I decided early on that I should try to make the best of it. And the line of scripture that kept coming to my mind was that passage from Ephesians 5 where St. Paul says, make the most of every opportunity. Believe it or not, there is opportunity in everything, even in sickness, even in tragedy. So I made the decision to take advantage of the opportunity God was giving me in my convalescence to read more scripture than I normally do and to pray more than I normally do. And I resolved that in my prayer I would be like the four men in this gospel story we just heard from Mark chapter 2. These four gentlemen took a paralyzed friend of theirs to Jesus. And the Lord gave this man what he needed. First, forgiveness. Notice that was first. That was primary. And then, of course, the physical healing. But please notice something. Notice that if these four men had not done what they did, if they had not made this effort that they made to physically carry their paralyzed friend to the house where Jesus was and then lower him down through the roof into the presence of the Lord, if they hadn't done those things, this guy would have remained paralyzed. And even worse, he would have remained in his sins. 
This man was blessed, this paralyzed man, because, and only because, his friends carried him to Jesus Christ in faith, which is what we do, spiritually speaking, whenever we pray prayers of intercession. That's why I mention it today. It's what we do whenever we offer up our sufferings for others in union with the sufferings of Christ. We may not think of it in this way, but what we are doing when we pray prayers of intercession and when we offer up our sufferings for others is we are, in a very real sense, carrying our brothers and sisters to the Lord, spiritually. And this, incidentally, is why God can, through us, Bless people who don't have any faith. Did you notice the one detail in this story regarding faith? It said, when Jesus saw their faith, he responded. It wasn't the faith of the paralyzed man that elicited a response from Christ. It was the faith of those four men who carried their friend to Jesus. Again, this is why your prayers can bring blessings to people who don't even believe in God. Now, obviously, this little biblical story illustrates the fact that God has made some things in this life conditional. Some things are not conditional, but some things are. Remember, in 1 Corinthians 3, St. Paul tells us that we are God's co-workers. Think about that. We are God's co-workers, which basically means that we are called as human beings to cooperate with God in accomplishing his will in the world. It's not a case of God doing everything and all of us here on earth doing nothing. In the design of God, in the design of the cosmos, certain good things will happen only if we are God's co-workers, only if we do our part to help bring them about. And one of the ways we do our part is by carrying people to the Lord. In other words, by interceding for them, by offering up our sufferings for them. Now, one reason why a lot of people don't do this or don't do it as much as they should is because it really requires faith. You have to trust that when you carry people to the Lord in prayer, God's really going to do something. We don't always see the results immediately, and we Americans tend to be result-oriented. We want it now. But you know, if we do this enough, if we carry people to the Lord consistently and faithfully, he'll give us little signs that good things are happening because of our prayers. I'll give you an example. A couple of weeks ago, I, as I said earlier, was praying and offering up my sufferings for a number of special intentions, one of which was our parish school. That school is very near and dear to my heart. So it didn't surprise me when I picked up the phone one day, middle of the first week, and called Henry Fiore. I just wanted to find out how things were going at the school, and he told me, he said, Father Ray, it's amazing. He said, new people are calling every day inquiring about the school. I've got appointments to give people tours of the building, a number of people. He said, in spite of the hard economic times, 
He said one doctor from Cape Cod called to say that he's moving to Westerly in the near future, wants to send all three of his kids to the school. And the kids are in the upper grades. That's always good news when you get young people entering our school in the upper grades. And Henry had stories to tell me like that every time I called him during my recovery. I said to him, well, Henry, I take that as a sign that my offered up pain is making a difference. Now, don't get me wrong, Henry, I don't like the pain. I hate it. I'm trying to get rid of it every day. But while I have it, I'm trying not to waste it. Please do not waste your pain. You're going to have it anyway. Might as well offer it up in union with the cross of the Lord. Which leads us, I would say, to the obvious question of the day. Whom have you carried to Jesus lately through prayer and or through your suffering? If you need a suggestion as to a person to carry, how about our new president? You know, as committed Catholics, we should be taking this man to Jesus every day in prayer and in acts of penance, asking that God will give him the wisdom he needs to guide us through these difficult economic times, but even more importantly, asking that the Lord convert his heart on issues like abortion and embryonic stem cell research. Our new president may have good ideas on many matters of importance to our nation, but quite frankly, when it comes to life issues, his positions are nothing short of atrocious. If you've been following the news, you know he's already given the green light to using your taxpayer dollars to pay for abortions in foreign countries. And this week it came out he plans on lifting very soon the eight-year ban on embryonic stem cell research imposed by former President Bush. I don't think it's a coincidence that this is the year of St. Paul. We know the kind of conversion Paul had in his life. We need to be praying as Catholics. We need to be doing penance that our new president will have a St. Paul-like conversion on these moral issues, which are even more important than the economic issues, because they involve direct attacks on our nation's most innocent and vulnerable citizens. So I ask you once again, whom have you carried to Jesus lately? If you say nobody, then please realize something. Realize that you might be depriving our nation of some much-needed change at the present time. And even more than that, you might be depriving the people you love of the blessings that God wants to give them. Bishop Fulton Sheen used to say that thousands of favors are hanging from heaven on silken cords and prayer is the sword that cuts them down. There are many people who are counting on all of us to do some cord cutting for them. May we not disappoint them as the four friends of this paralyzed man did not disappoint him 2,000 years ago. I should tell you that that's where I planned to end my homily this weekend. But I reconsidered. Because <laughs> I think this is important. I reconsidered yesterday morning when I received a beautiful email from Betsy Conway. 
Some of you know Betsy. She's the wife of one of our local veterinarians, Dr. Michael Conway. I count Michael among my friends, the good doctor. And I have been kindred spirits on pro-life issues for many years. If you read the newspaper this past week, you know that Dr. Conway was recently diagnosed with a very serious and a very aggressive form of cancer. That came as a shock to a lot of people. It came as a huge shock to me. Just a month ago, I saw him at the gym, running the treadmill, lifting weights, appearing to be in perfect health. The old saying is true, is it not? You never know. Betsy's email yesterday contained a reflection that she recently wrote about the trial that she and Michael are now dealing with. And in that reflection, she quotes a sonnet of William Shakespeare, and then she compares an experience that she and Mike once had on an airplane. She compares that experience to prayer. And I share it today because it ties in perfectly with the theme of this homily. Here is part of what Betsy wrote in her email. Several years ago, Mike and I were on an airplane on the evening of the 4th of July. The plane was hugging the long shoreline of Connecticut as we began our descent to Providence. As we gazed in amazement down below, the small towns nestled in the gentle river valleys sparkled with the bright lights of fireworks. As the plane moved on, more wondrous displays unfolded. We were mesmerized and felt our spirits light up like the earth below. In these dark nights, bearing the uncertainty and fear that Mike's condition evokes, we are like the sonnet writer who beweeps our outcast state. But like the writer at the conclusion of the sonnet, our spirits sing hymns at heaven's gate. When we remember that heaven is not death, that we are rich in friends and family, wealthy in their love for us and the love of Jesus Christ. And so, on this starry night, I like to imagine that the Lord looks down on this sullen earth and sees the brightness of the prayers of people petitioning the Lord on our behalf. Much like the fireworks so brilliantly displayed for us that 4th of July, I can imagine how beautiful it is to him, how beautiful it is to the Lord. It is priceless to us, and we are richer than kings. You know, in all my years, I have never heard anyone compare intercessory prayers to fireworks. But it's a good analogy, is it not? So when you carry your friends and family members to Jesus in the near future, please do remember to shoot up a firework or two for Dr. Michael Conway. I know that the good doctor and I know that his family would greatly appreciate it.